Well, happy Easter, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. We are so glad to welcome you for our Easter service and just to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord together. It is great to see so many people here. uh, And many of you that I've talked to already are back for the first time in a long time. So welcome to all of you. How many of you are here for the first time in a long time? Anybody like, this is my first Sunday back? Woo, good job. All right, let's give them a hand. Thank you so much for being here today. All of you in the balcony and down here, we're just so glad you're here. And those of you watched online as well, thanks for joining us this morning. If you're new here, my name is Adam Bowers. I'm the senior pastor here at First Free Church. And uh, we have had a wonderful time of worshiping God already. We're gonna continue doing that now through his word. And before we do that, I'm just gonna have a, a word of prayer. So if you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads with me and let's go to the Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together to open up your word. Thank you for the freedom that we have to do this, Lord, to, to praise you um, loudly and openly, to, to sing, your, sing your praises and to gather here and, and to just have the, the freedom and the liberty to be able to do this and now to be able to study your word. And, and we know um, many places around the world they don't have that freedom. Many places they can't just open a Bible and read through it. It's difficult for them to access your word, although that's becoming better and better all the time. But Lord, we thank you for the freedoms you've given us. Help us to not take that for granted. And today, as we remember the sacrifice of your son and the resurrection of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would give us some fresh insights to know how that should impact our lives today how we should think about you, how we should interact with other people, how we should live in response to what you did for us and what we celebrate today. Thank you, Lord, for coming here and for dying for us, but even more importantly, for coming back to life and conquering sin and death so that you can do the same for us. We praise you today, Lord Jesus. And in your name we pray, amen. Well, they had no idea what they were in for on June 23rd, 2018. As their soccer practice ended in Maasai, northern Thailand, they hopped on their bikes. There was a birthday party they were going to go to later that day for one of the boys on the team. But before that, they wanted to head to one of their favorite mountains to go back into the caves. There was a network of tunnels and caves that stretched in this mountain for miles. And they had been through this exploring many times before. They had made it as far in as five miles into this huge network of caves in the past. Their team was called the Wild Boars. And they were a special soccer team because they were the soccer team that would accept all the rejects who weren't allowed to play on other soccer teams and school teams because of their ethnicity. And so this team would allow those people to be a part of their team. And part of the initiation was for them to go deep into this mountain, into these caves and write their name on the rock wall. That was part of how people joined this team. On this day, their assistant coach went with them into the tunnel network. He was in about his mid twenties and they made it back in about a mile when they realized something was terribly wrong. See, there had been some unusually heavy rains recently, and that rain was making its way through the mountains and dripping down through everything, and it was filling up the caves at the entrance to this tunnel network just as these guys were getting back further into the mountain. And so now their way out was gone. They had no escape. The waters had filled in the tunnels, and there was no way they could get out. Some of the boys couldn't even swim. So they were forced to go deeper and deeper into the mountain to get away from the rising waters. And they ended up trapped in a cave that had enough height that there was still some air that they could breathe. 
When they were late to the birthday party and the parents noticed, they started to get worried. And so eventually they were able to get into the boys' text messages and they saw that they had planned to go to this mountain and explore these caves a little bit before their birthday party. So they headed there. And as they got there, they saw the bikes. They saw some other things outside the entrance, but there was no way in. No way to get through the water, through all the caves, and no telling how far in they had gone. The authorities brought in the Thai Navy SEALs to see if they could help, but they didn't have any way to locate the boys or even know where in this vast network of complicated tunnels and caves that were now all flooded, the boys could possibly be. So they brought in pumps. They tried pumping out the water, but they couldn't get it out fast enough to do anything meaningful. They even tried drilling into the side of the mountain as far as they could and then inserting some thermal equipment to see if they could get some kind of heat signature to at least know where they needed to try to go to rescue these boys, but they found nothing. Eventually, they managed to talk with one of the teammates who had skipped practice that day and he was familiar with this cave network and knew the favorite place the boys wanted to go. So at least they had a little something to go on. Maybe they're at this spot a couple miles into the mountain. As news spread around the world, people started to show up from all over the place to try to help out. The U.S. Air Force rescue team was one of the first ones to arrive, and then cave divers from around the world joined the effort and came there, and hundreds of people volunteered all around the community. They they provided free meals and transportation. The laundry services would clean all the clothes of all the rescue workers for free every night because they would get so muddy in all the, the dirt and water trying to find them in the caves. But the boys had been missing for over a week now. People were starting to wonder if this was going to be a rescue operation or a recovery operation. On July 2nd, divers managed to get farther into the cave system than they had before. They had just a little bit of oxygen left. They reached the cave where the boy that didn't participate said they might be and there was no one there but they thought we've got a little bit of oxygen left just to go a little bit further. Let's see if we can find them. Maybe we can just make our way a little bit further and see what we can find there. And so they did. They traveled just a a little bit further into the mountain. And when they popped out of the water, they saw this. Yeah, best you can. Thank you. How how many of you? Thirteen. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Where are you going? Back test is going inside. No, not today. Not today. Two of us. You have to go. We are coming. Okay. Okay. Many people are coming. Many, many people. We are the first. Many people come. What's what day? I am really happy. We we are happy too. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. What an amazing moment of relief. Their story wasn't over yet, but at least at this point, they knew these boys were alive and all 13 of them were there. I don't know if you could hear at the end, but the, the coach said, we are very happy you're here. And the diver said, we're happy to see you too. <laughs> and the parents, of course, were overjoyed to learn that their sons had miraculously survived A doctor and and some Thai Navy SEALs then made their way through the waters, took them five hours to get back to the boys, and they would live with them there in the cave until they could later get out and be freed. 
The flooded tunnels were so challenging that even experienced divers had a difficult time getting through them. In fact, one of the Thai Navy SEALs did not make it. His oxygen ran out along the way and he perished as he went to be with them. So there's no way that these boys, many of whom could not swim, would be able to get out of this tunnel network, even if they had masks and oxygen. It was just too dangerous for them. To make matters worse, the waters were rising and the locals said that this entire cave system would be entirely flooded, no chance of escape. They would perish within a week. And even worse than that, the oxygen levels in the cave they were in that they tested were getting lower and lower to the point where it was dangerous for them to stay there much longer. So priority one was getting them more oxygen. They managed to run a hose two miles into this mountain to be able to pump oxygen into their cave and give them more time to live. As they did that, the divers were able to bring letters back and forth from the boys to their family so they could at least talk to each other a little bit and share how much they loved them. The boys were still in great danger and they were running out of time. They had maybe a few days before the cave would fill up completely with water. And one day the water levels lowered enough that the people in charge of the rescue operation said, it's now or never. We have to go in and try to get them. It was incredibly dangerous. But on July 7th, almost 100 divers spread out across the two-mile stretch to get into where these boys were. The doctor who was with the boys gave them some medicine to help them be calm and not panic as they were being taken out. It was a very challenging thing to try to get these boys through the water, through these narrow tunnels, very dangerous, treacherous path. And so they decided they strapped oxygen tanks to their stomachs and they attached handles to their backs so that they could haul them around and pass them back and forth and, and move them around basically like luggage. Sometimes divers had to detach their own oxygen tanks from their backs because the passageway was so narrow they couldn't fit through the rocks. And so they had to hold on to their oxygen tank and make sure that it was secure, but not ne directly next to them and hold on to their precious cargo and get it all through these narrow passageways without losing anyone or damaging anything. Occasionally they would reach a large cave, like a big underground lake, and they would have a raft there. They'd load the boys into a raft and then float them across to get to the next passage of tunnels. In some caves, they formed a human chain where they passed the boys from person to person to person to get them to the next section of tunnels. In one cave, there was a really steep incline, and so they actually installed a rope pulley system so they could attach the boys to the ropes and then hoist them up to the higher part of the cave to continue along the journey. And tensions were incredibly high. One diver along the way described being handed one of the boys, the first one to come out, and not knowing whether or not this was a casualty or a survivor until he saw him breathe. And he had a huge sense of relief. It took them three days, but they finally got every team member and the coach out of the caves safely. And here the boys are later recovering at the hospital. They said the one thing that they wanted, or two things really, were chocolate and fried chicken. Which makes perfect sense to me. This is one of the greatest rescue stories of my lifetime, easily. There are others too. I, I read a lot of them. But this one is just so incredible. 
And there's something about us that loves a good rescue story. Don't you find yourself as you're listening to that rooting for them and hoping that they'll find rescue? And maybe there are some details that you weren't familiar with, even though you probably have all heard of this story before and knew they got out. We love a good rescue story. Many of our greatest books and movies are based on rescue stories or have a rescue as a major part of their plot. You think of movies like Star Wars and Die Hard and Saving Private Ryan and The Rock, you know, Nicolas Cage's greatest movie, in my opinion, with Sean Connery. It's an incredible movie of rescue. Saving Private Ryan, Behind Enemy Lines, Toy Story 2 is a fantastic rescue story. Right up there with The Rock, very similar. Many of our greatest stories involve a sense of rescue. And I think that's because deep down inside, all of us have been at that point where we felt like we've needed rescue. We can relate to it. We all love the idea of when we're in that tension and that stress and and something is not right and we want it to be fixed. We want someone to be able to show up and just fix it. Just make it all better. Make it all go away. Resolve the conflict. Come to our rescue. There's a man in the Bible that needed rescue over and over and over again. He was beaten many times to within an inch of his life. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Let me just let him tell his story. This is in 2 Corinthians. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now, most of you have figured out by now we're talking about the Apostle Paul. Depending on how you look at it, The Apostle Paul is either the most interesting man in the world or the Bible's version of bad luck Brian. All these bad things just keep happening to him over and over again. And oftentimes it has some connection to the fact that he is out there sharing the good news about Jesus with people, preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And then he gets thrown in prison and put on ships and beaten and stoned and and risks losing his life all the time. But here's the amazing thing about this. Through all of these horrible experiences, all of these traumatic experiences, Paul continues to move forward. He continues to trust in God. He continues to believe in him. Not that he didn't have doubts at times, not that he didn't struggle at times. There were times where he asked God to remove a challenge from him. And ultimately God said, no, he asked multiple times and God said, no. But through all of this, he continued to have faith. He continued to trust in God. And that's an incredibly impressive thing to me because I don't know if I could do that. When I look at all the things that the apostle Paul experienced and the difficulties that he had in his life, every time it's like he just got back up and said, let's keep going. Let's do that again. Let's go keep doing the same thing that got me in that predicament. I'm going to do more of that. I don't know if I could do that. This is an incredible guy with an incredible faith. And wouldn't you love to have a faith like that? where you can face challenge after challenge after challenge and go, let's just keep going. God's got this figured out. That's an incredible faith, the kind of faith that I want to have. How did he do it? How did he facing challenge after challenge, what we would say would easily give someone PTSD many times over. He should basically be doing nothing else but therapy for the rest of his life. 
That's all the stuff that he's been through. And yet he keeps going at it and he faces more and he has faith and he trusts in God. How did he do it? And what can we learn from it? That's what we're gonna look at today. If you have your Bible with you or you can open up a Bible app on your phone, you're gonna wanna turn to 2 Timothy because it's the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his protege, Timothy. He's in prison right now. He knows that very soon he will die. Early on in 2 Timothy chapter four, he talks about the fact that his time is short. He's in the middle of a trial for preaching the gospel and he knows that these are probably his last days. So he's sharing some final words with Timothy. He wants Timothy to come and visit him. He wants him to come quickly, preferably before winter. He even asks Timothy to bring his coat. Like, bring me my coat because it's going to be winter soon. It's going to be cold. They're not taking good care of me here in prison. I'd love to have a coat. And can you also bring my scrolls and my papers, my documents? I want to work on some things with you. And so he reaches out to Timothy And in the middle of this, he's sharing about the trial he's currently going through. It's just a little section of scripture, just a little snippet here, but there's so much packed in this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 16, he says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. That is an incredibly gracious thing for the apostle Paul to say. I mean, can you imagine this guy after what he's been through? This is at the end of his life. For the last 30 years, he has faced all kinds of persecution and struggles, and he has been there for other people, and he's built these relationships. And and just to be clear here, when he says everyone abandoned me, it doesn't mean everyone in the world. There were many people he talks about earlier in this letter that he sent to different places. Those people didn't abandon him. He sent them to go do ministry. But the people that were there with him when he was on trial said, I want none of this. I don't want to be anywhere near you. You know, it's when times get tough that you start to figure out who your real friends are. There are people who can act like they're close to you, be buddy-buddy with you when times are good. But as soon as you hit a difficult patch or you experience some kind of difficulty in your life and you really need them, that's when you start to find out how serious were you about the relationship that we had? How much did you really care for me or how much were you just kind of in this for you? And it's in those difficult times that you see who are the real friends here. And Paul could look at this and go, they're dead to me. They abandoned me. They left me here. No one's coming to support me. No one's here at the trials. No one's speaking on my behalf. No one's trying to defend me. But he says, may it not be counted against them. He forgives them. What an amazing, gracious thing for him to do. How can he do it? How can he have this faith and this joy and this peace and not count this against people who are turning away from him? How can he continue forward with this difficulty? In the next verse, we see the answer. He says, the Lord, but the Lord stood with me. Everybody else around here left, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Now, this is really interesting because Paul mentions it just in passing, this little short sentence, God rescued me from certain death. The actual phrasing that he uses there is he rescued me from the lion's mouth. Now, scholars don't think that Paul was actually put in front of a lion and that that was a method of execution that would be used for Paul because he was a Roman citizen. And so typically a Roman citizen would not face death by wild animals 
or crucifixion. Peter would be martyred by crucifixion. Paul, tradition says, was martyred by beheading, which was normal for a Roman citizen. If they were to be killed, they wouldn't be thrown to the lions. To be rescued from the lion's mouth was an expression that meant saved from death. And what this likely means is that at some point over the course of this trial, the judge had decided it's time for Paul to die. And somehow God rescued him from that. Somehow God gave him more time. Certain death was upon Paul and God somehow rescued him from that. And Paul just barely mentions it here. If I were Paul, that would be the headline. If I were Paul and someone had determined to kill me and were there ready to do it and God rescued me from that somehow, he doesn't even really tell us how, that would be the story I would be telling. The entire letter of 2 Timothy would be, you're never going to believe it. They did this, then they did this, then they said they were going to do this. They got this stuff ready. I was here. This is how I felt. You know, um, needed a new change of pants. Like it was all really bad. And then God rescued me. And here's how he did it. And it was so cool. And it was amazing. And it's like an afterthought for Paul. He barely touches on it because he had something completely different as his focus. Something else that he had his attention on. Look at it there in verse 17. The Lord stood with him. That's good. And gave him strength. It's very nice of him. So that, and this is what's so important. So that he could preach the good news about Jesus. That's the focal point. So that he could preach the good news about Jesus to Gentiles, to all the Gentiles who were there, who were there trying to persecute him for preaching about Jesus. And Paul says, this is great. God rescued me so that I could do this. Who cares about the details of the rescue? This is the purpose of it. He wants me to be able to preach the gospel to these people that don't want to hear the gospel. How can he be so focused, so faithful, so selfless in the middle of such a challenging situation? Here's how, verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Here's what Paul knew that most of us, I think, know, but we don't always live like we believe it. God will always rescue his children. Let me say that again. God will always rescue his children. What does Paul say? The Lord will deliver me from every evil attack, every evil attack. So I don't have to be worried about death. I don't have to be worried about what they might do to me. I don't have to be worried about anything that they may have planned for me because God will always rescue me. He will rescue me from every, every evil attack, he says. And you could say in response to that, but does he really? I mean, aren't there times when he doesn't? How can Paul say he will rescue me from every evil attack when at some point here we know Paul was martyred and Peter was martyred and so many other early Christian leaders were martyred. I mean, yes, God rescued them a number of times and then at some point he didn't, right? How can we say God always rescues his children? How can we say the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack if sometimes he doesn't? Here is the answer that I think Paul would give to that. There's more than one kind of rescue. There's more than one kind of rescue, more than one kind of deliverance. Throughout history, God has been a rescuing God. 
It's one of the things that he loves to do. In fact, one of the names that he took for himself, a title that he took for himself is Jehovah Meptali, which means the Lord, my deliverer. He likes to be called the Lord, my deliverer, the one who rescues. And he's been doing this all throughout scripture. You see story after story of God stepping into everyday lives and delivering people, rescuing people. He did it with David when David faced Goliath and God protected him. He did it with him when he was running from King Saul and King Saul was trying to pursue him to kill him and God delivered him. He did it with Daniel when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions and God sent an angel to shut their mouths so that Daniel would be rescued. He did it with Jonah, who was a prophet of God. But when God told him to go to the city of Nineveh and deliver his message there, Jonah ran the other direction. He got swallowed by a fish and God rescued him from that giant fish. And there is story after story after story of God stepping into everyday lives in big ways like I've described and small ways too and providing the rescue, being the deliverer, Jehovah Naphtali, the Lord, my deliverer. And that's wonderful. But there is an even grander rescue plan at work that God had planned all along what we remember, especially today. We talked about it Friday night. God sent his son who came to this earth. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, went to the cross willingly. He could have gotten out of it. He could have escaped it, but he went to the cross willingly. He took the sins of the whole world on himself and he paid for them there so that, so that his righteousness could be applied to us just as our sin was applied to him and he paid for it. And then when God looks at those who trust in Jesus, he doesn't see them as sinful people. He doesn't see their brokenness, even though they are. He sees them through the lens of Jesus Christ. He sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees them as holy and perfect and acceptable to him because of what Jesus did on the cross. He gave up his spirit. Did you know that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was not killed, technically speaking. He gave up his spirit on his own, willingly sacrificed it for us. On Friday night, we said it was a promise kept, prophecy fulfilled, and a path completed. It is finished. It is finished. But what was finished? The rescue plan. The greatest rescue story ever told. Nothing else could even come close. That Jesus would come and die for you so that you could be free. Freed from sin. Freed from the power of sin. Restored to God so that you could actually be friends with God for all eternity. And live with him. It's so incredible. And this is what Paul could not stop telling people. Even in the face of such persecution and challenges, he had to continue telling people about the message of Jesus and the kingdom and how to be a part of it. There's new life in Jesus. He would say abundant life, hope-filled life. The troubles that you are facing right now are nothing compared to what Jesus can offer to you to be rescued from your sin, to be rescued from the power of sin, to be rescued from the eternal consequences of sin. See, God is a rescuer. Jehovah Neptali, the Lord, my deliverer. And he rescues people in three different primary ways. He rescues people from physical things. He rescues people from sin and the power of sin. And he rescues people from the eternal consequences of sin. And this is why Paul could have so much hope. 
in the face of so many troubles. Why he could keep moving forward, telling people about Jesus. Not because he was guaranteed another physical rescue, but because he knew he had already been spiritually rescued and that the ultimate rescue was actually when he would move on into the kingdom. And that was already taken care of. It was paid for. It was a done deal. It is finished. And so that's why he could say there in verse 18, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack. And you might be thinking, okay, deliver me from the next time they're trying to kill him. He says, no, and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. This was the ultimate rescue for Paul. Here's what Paul is thinking in this moment. Here's what he's thinking. Perhaps the next time God rescues me, it won't be rescuing me physically from the danger I'm facing that day. It will be rescuing me from this life and into eternity in heaven with him. And that's still a rescue. Remember what Paul told the believers in Philippi? He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he said, I don't know which one's better. I'm torn between the two. I want to go to heaven. I want to stay with you. But to die is gain, to go be with heaven. And let me tell you, when you have that kind of perspective on death, it gives you a brand new lease on life. You look at things completely differently. At least you should. When you know that your hope in the future is secure and your eternity is secure, all the challenges and problems that we face today, which let's be honest, probably for most of us pale in comparison to what Paul experienced, we can put those in perspective and say, yeah, I know this is difficult right now, but my God is a deliverer. And whether he delivers me from this thing that I'm facing today or not, I know that ultimately he's going to deliver me. And I don't even have to worry about that. If I've trusted in Jesus, I know that ultimately he's going to deliver me to his heavenly kingdom. And that is the rescue. That is the delivery that I am looking forward to no matter what's going on in my life today. I want to make this really practical for us. There are all sorts of situations that we are facing right now that we need rescue from, or at least we want rescue from. Probably for every single person in this room and everyone watching online right now, there's something you can think about that either today or recently you have needed a rescue from. I mean, some of you, it may be family dinner later today. Hopefully not. We have things in our lives that we would love a rescue from. I mean, let's be honest. Wouldn't it be great, whatever problem you're thinking of right now, if God showed up tomorrow with a cape? I'm here to save the day. Let's solve this thing. You lost your job. Here's a new one that's better than anything you've ever had before. You're in a ton of debt, okay? I know you don't play the lottery, but here's a card that just happened to fall out, not by your house, and it's got $40 million on it. There you go, taken care of. Anybody want to sign up for that rescue? It's a good sounding rescue. And we would like God to show up in our life in all these different ways. It could be all sorts of things, broken marriages and, and, and uh, people that have hurt other people, and natural disasters and illnesses and all sorts of things that we want God to show up in a rescue. And I, I want to give you some practical um, insight on this from God's word, because I think it'd be easy to walk away with the wrong impression here. It'd be so easy to walk away and think, well, Pastor Adam said that the ultimate rescue is in heaven. And so I just shouldn't worry about what's going on in my life right now. And I should just deal with it. And that is not actually all the Bible has to say. So let me round that out a little bit for you. James writes a letter and he says, hey, listen, sometimes you believers don't have because you're not asking. Or sometimes you don't have because you're asking, but you're asking with the wrong motives. Here's what that teaches us. I know we've taught about this before, but it ties in here. It teaches us that there are good things 
that God is willing to do. There are rescues that God is willing to engage in, but he's waiting for us to ask. Sometimes there are things God is willing to do for us, willing to pull us out of, willing to take care of for us, but he wants us to seek him. He wants us to involve him in our lives. And he's waiting for us to learn that lesson. He's not gonna just give it to us without us first learning that lesson. And so sometimes it's like, well, are you praying about this? Are you asking God for this? Have you involved your group in this? Are they praying for you on this? And it may not happen right away, but as you seek God, it just may be that he's gonna say, yep, I am willing to give you that rescue, that physical rescue of whatever that thing is you're facing right now. I am willing to do that, but I wanted you to involve me in this. I wanted you to realize that you needed to rely on me for this. Sometimes that's how God works. And so it could be that whatever you feel you need rescued from today, you need to cry out to God and he may rescue you. But there's another side of that coin, isn't there? Even the apostle Paul faced challenge after challenge, sometimes weeks or months of incredibly difficult situations. And we know that there were times that he cried out to God and said, God, would you deliver me from this? He talks about his thorn in the flesh. He says, three times I cried out and I begged God to take this away from me. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove this thing. And so there are times when we are facing a difficult situation. And the reason we aren't experiencing rescue in our lives is because we have not turned to God and said, God, would you come be a part of this? I'm going to turn my life over to you. And I want you to rescue me if you're willing to do it. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that God may say, this is not something I'm going to rescue you from here. When that happens, the temptation for us is to become incredibly discouraged. I say, well, God, God didn't do what I asked. I asked him three times. I asked him 10 times. I asked him 30 times. He didn't do what I asked. And we can have a tendency to give up on God. And Paul's message to us would be, that's not the ultimate rescue we should be thinking about. Yes, we should ask God for those things. I don't want us to miss that. But at the same time, there's something so much bigger and so much grander in the rescue plan that God has for us. Because if we've trusted in Jesus, all these challenges that we want to be rescued from here and now are nothing compared to the rescue that's going to happen when we go and be a part of his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom. That is the main thing, the main rescue that Paul wants us to know about, that Paul is thinking about as he is near death. So I want us to think about that just just for a few more minutes here. I think back to those boys that were in the, uh, the cave. When they got out, their parents and grandparents had some plans for them. They wanted them to shave their heads and go into the monastery and spend a couple of weeks there learning from the Buddhist monks. And they thought that that would cleanse them from the, the horrible thing that they just experienced. In fact, one of the boy's grandfathers said that it's like when he went into the tunnel, he died And when he came out, he was reborn. And now he needs to go to the monastery to cleanse himself of that experience. And that breaks my heart. Because this team just experienced an incredible rescue. But the rescue that matters so much more, I don't even know if they know about. I've actually been praying for them this week that God would bring someone to them to share the gospel message with them so they can learn about a rescue that is so much greater than anything they personally experienced. You know, they're going to do two movies about this thing. These guys are traveling all over the place talking about their story. And that's great. And that's awesome. And we love a good rescue story, but it is nothing compared to if these kids would just realize what God wants to do in their hearts to rescue them from sin, to rescue them for all eternity. It'd be such a better story. And maybe that's the case for, for some of you here today. We're watching online right now. Maybe you need God to rescue you from more than a a lost job or a 
financial situation or a hurt relationship. Maybe you've never had him rescue your soul to take away your sin, to have him give you a new spiritual life so that you can be rescued from sin, the power of sin and the future consequences of sin. And if that's you, I just want to share with you how you can do that today because today would be a great day. Can you think of a better day than Easter to say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I want him to rescue me. Let me tell you about it. Here's here's how it works. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's what that means. There is nothing you have to do to earn salvation. It is about your believing. And if you believe it enough to say it, then you believe it fully. And you believe what Jesus did when he came and died on the cross. And you believe that God raised him from the dead, which is what we celebrate today. And you trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he really did conquer sin and death by rising from the dead, and that he really did take on the payment for your sins, and that he wants to give you new life. He wants to rescue you. Not just from the situation you're in right now. We've talked about that. Maybe yes, maybe no, but definitely from the power of sin in your life, and definitely from the consequences of sin, so that you can have an eternal relationship with God. That's the ultimate rescue. It's what God wants for you today. If you want to make that decision today, sometime today, just sit down in prayer with God and say, God, I I know that I'm a sinful person and I know that I'm not acceptable to you the way I am right now, but I know that Jesus made that possible for me, that he died for me to pay for my sin, that he rose again and that he wants to give me new life. And Lord, I need that rescue. God, I need you to to come into my life and, and make me new. I need to be reborn as a new person, a new spiritual person so that I can follow after you. And if you will pray that to God today, if you believe that in your heart, the Bible says you will become one of his children. And you know what? God always rescues his children. Doesn't mean life is going to be perfect. Doesn't mean it's all going to be chocolates and fried chicken. There'll be those days. There'll be other days where it's going to feel like you're stuck in a cave. But you know that ultimately, no matter what you experience in this life, there is a rescue in front of you. There is a delivery to heaven, Jehovah Naphtali, the Lord, my deliverer. Aren't you thankful for Jesus, our savior, our deliverer, our rescuer? Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice. What you have done for us is something we could never do, never, never hope to accomplish. And yet for those of us who trusted in you and would say we're followers of Jesus, we don't always live like it. God, we don't always live. You know, today, Easter, this special day where we remember you rising from the dead and, and the power that you have. And yet tomorrow, Monday, we're gonna go back to the pressures of this world after uh, maybe a big meal today and thinking about what you did for us. And then what's Monday through Saturday gonna look like? And God, I pray that this message is gonna stick with us that you would help us to live tomorrow in light of what we're talking about today, that as we interact with other people and as we think about the challenges that we are in, we would have the faith of Paul to say, I know my Lord will deliver me from every evil attack against me. And maybe that means here and now, and maybe that means the ultimate delivery, but either way, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to be fearful about it. I don't need to have anxiety about it because of the hope that I have in you. Oh Lord, maybe we'd be strengthened and encouraged and joyful to to have this fresh understanding of it today. And God, for those who who don't know you, who are not a follower of you, maybe they're just checking this out online for the first time. Maybe they just happen to see this on a friend's post or something. Lord, I pray that you would communicate to them right now 
the depths of your love and how much you care for them and how much you want to rescue them too so that they would follow you and see that you are the Lord who delivers us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross, coming out of the grave. We worship you now. In your name we pray, amen.